Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Well, thank you, Billy, and welcome to yet another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. We are delighted to have along with us today former National FFA Officer Ridge Hubanks from Alva, Oklahoma. In today's conversation, we'll talk about Ridge's time as a national officer growing up in northwestern Oklahoma and what he sees down the road for his career as he is back now studying at Oklahoma State University, one day perhaps to become a lawyer. Today's Road to Rural Prosperity being brought to you in part by the Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They help provide a legislative voice for water and wastewater utilities on issues in the state as well as at the federal level during legislative sessions. Stick around. We've got Ridge Shoebanks up in just a few moments on today's Road to Rural Prosperity after these messages. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. Headquartered in Oklahoma City, the Oklahoma Public School Resource Center envisions a quality public education for every child in Oklahoma, and their mission is to drive transformation and increased academic achievement within Oklahoma's public education system. The Resource Center is a nonprofit organization that provides essential resources, professional development, and technical assistance to the state's public schools. They advocate for high-quality instruction for all Oklahoma students and support increasing classroom innovation to provide them a challenging, globally competitive education. Howdy, neighbors, and welcome to another Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes, and with us today, very happy to have with us a gentleman that we've talked to a time or two over the last several years, Ridge Hubanks. Ridge is uh, one of the uh, members of the 2018-2019 National Officer Team of the FFA organization. Some of you folks know that as the Future Farmers of America been FFA for a lot of years, though. And uh, Ridge, thank you for uh, taking the time and uh, kind of uh, talk us a little bit about your your career in FFA, your kind of that life experience that uh, was at the state level, but then at that national level as well. Glad, glad to have you with us today. Well, it's certainly great to be talking with you again, Mr. Hayes. And I appreciate everything that you're doing with this podcast series, uh, with the interviews that you're having and your willingness to have those conversations with with people from all across the state. Uh, I'm certainly honored to be just chatting with you again this morning. You know, being an immediate past national officer, I will say that uh, I thought I was coming home to a little bit of normalcy and uh, started back up at Oklahoma State this last spring, and it was anything but. <laughs> but uh, with that being said, what an incredible journey. Uh, you know, it's one of those things where I mention the man in the arena a lot whenever I speak, and, it, and it's a quote by Theodore Roosevelt, and the crux of it is continuously dare greatly and put yourself into the arena. Mm-hmm. And that that quote kind of jump-started me back when I was in high school to consider running for state office uh, because I had no intentions of, of trying to put myself out there and, and do anything beyond just my regular experience. But it was from the help of advisors, 
uh, local support and just people saying, we believe in you and having that great community that, that I come from up in the northwest part of the state that kind of drove me to pursue the state level, uh, then got to serve the entire state as a state FFA president for a year and mm-hmm. really just see what all Oklahoma agriculture encompasses. I think if I haven't hit all 77 counties yet, I'm pretty darn close. I, I should probably sit down and write that out. And then on the national level, being able to have been to 49 of the 50 states uh, I have just really been blessed to have so many opportunities before the age of 22 mm-hmm. to experience what American agriculture looks like. And I know that comes from the support of, of people such as yourself and, and all across Oklahoma who believe in the youth. Mm-hmm. You, know, you you mentioned the fact that obviously northwest Oklahoma, really a production agriculture background. You grew up uh, on uh, an ag operation. Of, I don't know if you consider it a farm or a ranch. Well, it's a little bit of both, right? So I'm, I'm proud to be fifth generation in it and uh we raise we have a cow calf operation mm-hmm. and then diversified crop and diversified crop in northwest oklahoma looks a lot like wheat alfalfa and we even plant a little sesame uh, so we've been trying to diversify in some of those ways and really what i've been kind of just perplexed by is the amount of innovation that we're starting to see in different parts of the state uh, trying to find new ways to plant some maybe more non-traditional style crops and, yeah. and some of those row crop operations but but yes i uh, i had kind of a limited scope in that in that sense and you know becoming a national officer i was working with potatoes up in Maine, and then I was working alongside H-2A labor down in Arizona harvesting lettuce, and then uh, I was back on the East Coast harvesting lobster off the coast. I mean, <laughs> I've had some pretty crazy experiences, and I recognize that there is so much breadth and depth to this thing we call agriculture. So how do we start bringing some of those ideas, some of those different innovations or new methods back to the state and maybe try to transplant some of that? So, you know, when you, you go back to this to kind of the, the genesis of FFA's, ex, your experience with FFA, you know, did, did you just automatically enroll in ag education or did you just, uh, or was there, was there a choice to be made? I'd say there was definitely a choice, and one of the best parts of growing up in a school like Alva was that it was small enough that you could do everything, but it was big enough that it had enough opportunities that uh, you weren't just limited to one or two options. And so when I came into my freshman year, I knew long-term I wanted to have some form of a career in agriculture. Uh, It was as much a lifestyle as an industry and something that my family had done for forever. And so I was thinking to myself, man, I should probably start kind of working my way around it rather than just having school of hard knocks knowledge from my summers. And that's when I enrolled my freshman year. And, And I would say from there... You know, alongside the support of the advisors and my classmates, FFA is one of those organizations where personal initiative really becomes key. And I mean, if you've got the drive and you find that passion, all of a sudden a student from nowhere, Oklahoma, can find themselves with a platform and an opportunity to speak at a quite frankly, a global level. And I'm not saying Alva's a nowheresville, but if you ask somebody in California uh, where Alva's at, they're not going to be able to tell you, much less where Oklahoma's at in some instances. And, and I also got to recognize that in some now, of the travels. Well, you were probably from one of the smaller communities in that officer team that you served with at the national level, right? One of my officers, he liked to say he was from a small town in California and uh, San Luis Obispo, I think last time I checked, had 50,000 people living in. It. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was it was kind of one of those eye opening things. But yes, I was uh, I was from the the smallest community of any of my teammates, and I was actually the only teammate who had experience in production agriculture. Mm-hmm. And what I recognized on that is 
every person involved in production ag today is considered an expert by the outside world. I mean, I'd get questions about cotton, tobacco, like crops that I've never interacted with in my life. And they'd say, Ridge, tell us about this. And it's like, well, I don't know, but let me, let me find somebody who I know does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but people look, they want that knowledge. They have that craving. I think we've seen some of that just from the circumstances surrounding COVID-19 and, and people want to know where their food comes from. And so how can we be more active participants in telling that story of agriculture uh, beyond maybe Maybe just the the two or three things that we we know. So you uh, got into ag education. You got it. You enrolled into FFA. You, I guess you were first place in everything from that point on, right? <laughs> no, hardly, <laughs> hardly. Oh my gosh! It, it's one of those things that. Uh, as well as you're building confidence, you're building a lot of humility. And, and I think one of the greatest things that I've ever been told in life is no, uh, because every no kind of helps you retrace your steps and find, okay, where do I need to be? And I think what makes FFA special is that you're able to have kind of those crushing defeats, but you've got a support system behind you that encourages you to pick yourself back up, Mm -hmm. try it again, and know you're better for it. And I don't think that that happens often enough in some other groups where everybody gets a ribbon and is told, you're the best. Well, no, we we need to work our way there. (laughs) We're not going to start off being an expert at something. It, It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And uh, I, I certainly was able to recognize that, and I'm thankful to have had a, a group of people that believe so strongly in me as well as they believe in the, I think it's, what, 27,000 Oklahoma FFA members across the state. I mean, that investment's there, and I know that I'm a direct result of those investments. Mm-hmm. Now, un- unlike the national officer process, Oklahoma's FFA officer process is an election. Mm-hmm. I guess that, there was a lesson or two to be learned there. Well, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where it was the closest thing to actually running for a, a political office because you go through a selection committee, a nominating committee around February, and uh, they slate the top three up to the top three for each office. And then basically you've got till state convention to campaign. But your campaign has to be completely word of mouth. You're not allowed to hand out anything. There's no social media presence. You're going to contest. You're talking to students. You're talking to advisors. You're talking at banquets. I mean, it's put you through the ringer. How bad do you want it? And uh, my gosh, some of the experiences and the memories I had. For a high school senior to experience that, it, it should be criminal. I'm glad it's not, <laughs> but I had so much fun, and I was so thankful to have a school board and an administration that recognized the importance of it and afforded me the time to be able to have those travels because, mm-hmm. I mean, you talk to any FFA member, uh, they they love the classroom, but it's those events, it's those contests, it's those shows that really stick with them, and that's where you walk away with the, the hard-earned lessons, and I would say probably the most valuable lessons that you can get through ag education now you had actually two two years as a state officer as you did run for first of all what northwest region vp and Mm -hmm. then our north northwest district vp (laughs) yeah i'm old now uh, right i was the last one (laughs) yeah and then and then you ran for state president was able to make the campaign successfully pitch there uh that meant that Twice you kind of had that opportunity to interact with FFA members around the state as an as a state officer, but you also interacted with the general public, with ag, edu- ag agricultural businesses, supporters of FFA. You started learning, I guess, a little bit about why these people care about FFA. 
Absolutely. And we're in a unique position in, in FFA in that we have a lot more demand than we have supply, mm-hmm. meaning there are towns all across the state and, and quite frankly, all across the country that would love nothing more than to have an FFA chapter. But you have to have an advisor. Uh, and, and it's it's not just free and something mm-hmm. you can do overnight to start up a chapter, and it takes some community support. But people are starting to recognize or, or re-recognize if it had fallen off, which we had some of that take place back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are coming back around to we need an ag education program because we believe in the values that it instills, mm-hmm. the experiences that these students get to have. And I mean, if you have a conversation with a high school student, you can usually tell whether or not they've been involved in FFA just by the way they carry themselves, the professionalism, uh, the ease of, of the conversation as it takes yeah. place. And I mean, these students are passionate about what they're doing. And that's something pretty special to get a high school student passionate about anything really much less about an industry that is so vital to our state i know that uh in talking with uh, uh mr stats jack stats of course our outgoing uh state ffa advisor one of his big achievements one of the things that he was very proud of as we talked with him on his way out of that position was the fact that we had had several new ffa chapters over the last year or so uh he's very proud mm-hmm. that uh, those uh, those communities those schools systems have come online and uh, will be a part of the FFA family. And at a time when the ag community has been has been stressed and stretched, I think it just it, it tells that case even more of that level of commitment that people are willing to go to because they recognize the value of an ag education program mm-hmm. to to take uh, some of those resources and, and find a way to to open that chapter. I, I think that uh, with the leadership that we have had at the state office uh, with Mr. Stats, with Mr. Boggs, and now with Mr. Lucas and Mr. Nemechek and, and all of the, the area representatives, uh, the future is exceptionally bright for Oklahoma FFA and ag education. And we have been building off a very firm foundation because of the contributions of, of those gentlemen. I agree totally. Ridge Hubanks with us today. He's a past national FFA officer, our most recent uh, FFA officer at the national level in the state of Oklahoma. And uh, we'll continue along the road to rural prosperity in just a few moments. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. 
Welcome back. We're glad to have you folks along with us today here on the Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes, and mighty happy to have along with us today Ridge Hubanks. Ridge from Alva, Oklahoma, has been a uh, Oklahoma District Vice President. He's been a State President of Oklahoma FFA Association, and most recently a National FFA Officer, and uh, got uh, big plans beyond that, I know, as well. We'll get to that, Ridge, but let's talk about that that process of getting your name called and getting to see Piper Merritt say congratulations and welcome on that uh, on that national platform there in Indianapolis. What got you, when did you first think you wanted to be a national officer? As strange as this might sound, I really didn't make the decision until a week after I'd given my retiring address as a state president. Uh, the national officer team wasn't something that I necessarily ever saw myself being a part of. But after after that state president year, I recognized a need, and that need revolved around having representation for rural America at the national level. Um that's one of the beauties of FFA is that it brings together individuals from urban and rural communities alike. And over time, uh, there have been fewer and fewer rural students that have wanted to pursue that. And especially from a production ag standpoint, uh, I just saw a need where, where students were were needing to hear the rural message. They were needing to know that agriculture is still rooted in those rural communities and that it's okay to raise cow. It's okay to raise wheat. It's okay to be involved in production agriculture at a large scale and, and just share all the opportunities that exist for somebody coming from that kind of a lifestyle. And oh my goodness, to have Piper Merritt, a past teammate of mine who then became a national officer, then welcomed me on stage. Uh, one of my favorite pictures to this day was that moment that, that we met at the bottom of the staircase to run up on stage together. Um, because that for me is something that I, I knew one of her goals long term that she had shared with me is to be a national officer and to be up on that stage and to help share her message as well. And it was one of those fun little packs that we had back when we were in high school that uh, if we ran for state office, she was probably going to run for national office and I would probably consider running for state president. That way we weren't competing against each other, right? We could spread <laughs> out the influence a little bit. And uh, my gosh, to see that come to fruition and yeah. to know the level of support that we received from our state staff, from our teammates, and from each other. Uh, anything that we can do to showcase Oklahoma in a positive light and show off basically the the end product of, of what people are investing in and why they believe in it, that's a cause I'm 100% ready to get behind. And, and I think FFA is still one of those places that we're proud to see. We're proud to see some more Oklahoma influence at the <laughs> national level again. By golly, it's good to have Okies up there in Indianapolis. You betcha. That, that, that's definitely the case. Now, you know, uh, the process to me is fascinating as far as that you obviously have to be picked by, by your state. But then, I don't know, I, I described it to, uh, to a friend of mine that kind of sounds like American Idol. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, excuse me, choked me up a little bit. Yeah, but, but, I mean, you know, the, the whole process, if you show up, you, you interview, you get selected for, you know, you get that 50% reduction deal, mm-hmm. uh, and then you, then you wait and you, a few more interviews, and you, you wait for Saturday afternoon. And Wow. Right, and I definitely sang a little bit, but not nearly as much as on Idol. I, I just kind of have a knack for singing sometimes, and you know that. And uh, 
you know, being able to look back on it once you receive that state nomination, which ours takes place usually in the May time frame, you have all the way until convention to learn as much about yourself, ag education, and the industry as a whole as you possibly can. And so you've got to step back, broaden your scope, and drink from that fire hose because there's a lot coming down. And when you actually get to Indianapolis, you're rooming with somebody from another state you are actively competing against, and at the same time, you're hoping they get elected as well. In most instances, that's the case because you're just amongst the best of the best that states have to offer there. And it creates such a, a unique dynamic of this competitive, challenging each other to do the best possible, and yet also recognizing that the best six are going to be selected and represent the entire country. And if I have a role to play in that, uh, I'm most certainly going to do the best of my ability. And so, yeah, you go through the first two days. They do some preliminary rounds. You get six minutes to tell a panel of nine people as much about yourself as possible. That's the first round. And they ask you three questions. Uh, so you get really good at, at answering interview questions. And, and I'm very thankful to have had the help of people like Lawson Thompson uh, Kelly Barnes. I mean, some of those tried and true FFA people who invest continuously to challenge me along the way and help me dive deeper into what that could look like. And then you accumulate those points from the first half and they make a 50-50 split right there based on points alone because it's a rubric style system that mm-hmm. helps kind of separate the, the wheat from the other wheat. <laughs> it's not even chaff. You can't even say that. But you get to that latter half and from there, it's just a matter of What do you bring to the table and who are the six individuals that make the most complete package that represent American agriculture they feel like in the best light to continue to try to progress forward and still represent the students that are actively involved in the programs? And you got to think FFA in Delaware is going to look a little bit different than FFA in Texas. And so they're trying to bring in as many unique personalities as they can. And I just Mm -hmm. feel exceptionally fortunate to have been selected to represent that central region. And all six officers represent the whole country. But as far as the the gridlock, Mm -hmm. the grid lines go, I mean, I was in row crop territory. I was representing rural America and that center belt. And and I can't be any more proud than, than to have been able to spend my year working alongside students in those similar communities who have some pretty similar backgrounds and interests as myself right. and just being able to see how that investment has paid off over time. And and literally that second half of the of the of the week is about putting the pieces of the puzzle to make a picture, isn't it? Yes, and I think at one point uh in you do an incredible job of covering national convention and the state of Oklahoma is so fortunate to have you just broadcasting the successes that we have at the national level because year in, year out, oh. Oklahoma represents itself exceptionally well you at, betcha, at the yeah. national FFA convention. And I think at one point you asked me how I was feeling and in that second half, I think I said something along the lines of all gas, no brakes. I mean, it was just full steam <laughs> ahead and I guess one of the more unique pieces is that of my teammates, I mentioned I was from the rural background. Uh, I had a teammate who was vegan and had that as, as a lifestyle choice. And so when we talk about painting a full picture, I mean, we're talking about everybody involved in food and agriculture across the spectrum. And some of those conversations really opened my eyes to the conversations that are being had in major cities. And, and it was through those interactions where we were able to come to a lot better middle ground 
both coming from stark opposite sides of the spectrum. And I have more respect for her and she has more respect for me. And, and we both can empathize a little bit more. We may not agree on everything, but we respect each other enough to be able to have those conversations and see mm-hmm. what's the best middle ground moving forward that'll help all American agriculture. And uh, I'm just so exceptionally grateful to have had my perspective broadened in that way and, and to be able to try to bring some of that insight back home with me as I continue to try to figure out what does that future have in store. Yeah. Let's talk about that year. Give me a, a memory or two from your uh, your uh, 300 plus days of travel and 37 states. I think you said. You yes, know sir. what what sticks? What's going to stick with you the rest of your life? Oh my! I was extremely fortunate uh, because I was the quote unquote ag guy. When I'd show up at a school, they'd say, "Ridge, we got an experience for you." And uh, that looked like when I was up in northeast Maine. I was up near Caribou, Maine. It's as far northeast as you can go in the continental United States. And I got to plant potatoes on the border of Canada. Wow. Uh, on the 4th of July last year, I was in the heart of Louisiana. And it, I think I, I ended up getting up at 4.30 in the morning to hop on a fan boat and go out in the middle of the bayou and harvest alligator eggs. There was a past state officer out there. Their family farms alligators. And they asked me if I wanted to tag along to help them harvest. Oh, my gosh. You want to talk about a way to spend the 4th of July? That was one of the coolest experiences. I mean, mm. cool doesn't do it justice. That's just the only word that can come to mind right mm. now. And then, now, what do you do with alligator eggs? Well, so they go out in a helicopter and they GPS mark all of the nests. You get on the fan boat and you go out and you actually open up the nest. And there's a specific way you have to set them down. So we've got these giant 50-gallon or, yeah, 50-gallon trash cans that we've packed full of grass and mud. And you got to take a bingo dotter. And you dot the top because if the eggs flip over, it actually drowns the alligator. So you, there's a very specific, it's scientific. <laughs> I learned more about it in that day. You put them in the tub. We took them back to the farm and we put them in incubators and actually hatch them. And then they follow the alligator from birth all the way to harvest. And you, actually most of the money is made through skins and, and through uh, leather goods that they make from it. So it was fascinating. Wow. Pretty cool. Yeah, not much of that going on in Oklahoma. I don't know if that's what people would really be behind transplanting either, but <laughs> certainly a good experience nonetheless. Yeah. We'll leave it in Louisiana. Absolutely, sure. yeah. yeah. We should visit them if you're, yeah. if you're interested in that. Yeah, so uh, FFA members that you will remember mm-hmm. as far as during that year. Yes, sir. And I was very fortunate to spend a, a majority of my time working with students actually in the Northeast part of the country. So up in the New England states, Maine, New Hampshire, uh, Vermont, Delaware, and the time that I spent up there, because socially, if you're an FFA, that is your place. Uh, It it is not as popular to be an FFA as it is down here in Oklahoma. And we've built a fantastic culture around ag education. And up there, it's a little bit more touchy. But just the pride that those students have, uh, their willingness to be a part of the organization and the growth that they've been able to experience. Uh, there's a, a certain young lady who I met in the state of New York who lives in New York City, and she's an FFA member. She's actually a state officer this year there, and she actively advocates 
for the agriculture industry in the heart of New York City to wow. people who are constantly saying, what do I have to worry about agriculture for? And she's trying to help bridge that disconnect. Mm-hmm. Um, but my gosh, I was able to work with over 250,000 uh, parents, students, and teachers over the course of the year. And I know that every experience left me better off than when I first arrived. And, and I hope that they share maybe some similar sentiments, but but I know I've been forever changed for the better. Right. Let's, let's talk about Ridge today. What, what, you know, you're, you're past that experience. I mean, you, you carry it with you, but yet you're moving on. What's, uh, what's going on now? What's, what's next? So I'm going to finish my degree at Oklahoma State University where I'm majoring in agribusiness pre-law and focusing on kind of what those next steps could look like. Uh, right now I'm studying for the LSAT, living by myself out in the middle of an alfalfa field in a house just north of Burlington, Oklahoma. So that's been a lot of fun because I know if I don't isolate to focus on my studies, I'll do literally anything else. <laughs> so that's been, that's been fun to try to hold myself more accountable. Uh, but after my undergrad, looking at, at law school mm-hmm. and going through officer candidate school with the Marine Corps, and wow. looking at doing JAG law, I'd love to. I'd love nothing more than to have a career, roughly eight to ten years, go out, experience what things are like outside of this state, and then come back and have and raise a family. And, and I think one of the things I'm most optimistic about in my plan is that I've always wondered how can I live in a place like Alva and try to have a job like somewhere in Washington D.C. And if there was any silver lining to COVID, I would say that. The ability to work remotely has become much more accessible. And as we continue to talk about disparities in rural broadband uh, and trying to be able to bring people back to rural communities who have been able to go out, have experiences, I think that the future is much brighter and having that as a, a potential opportunity. And so we'll see what happens within the next 10 years. But I'm extremely optimistic about being able to go out experience some of the world, and then come back and raise a family in the place that I know shaped me into the man I am today. We uh, put this uh, podcast together initially last fall, the idea of kind of uh, mimicking a little bit of what uh, the governor talked about during his campaign of uh, making Oklahoma a top 10 state. He continues to talk about that uh, during his first term as governor. Uh, But we wanted to really explore what does that mean? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And to you, you know, you, you're, you're saying you're willing, you, you're wanting to get out, experience the world, be a JAG officer, uh, do all those things, but yet you want to come back. What does Oklahoma need to look like? You know, what, what, how do you make Oklahoma look like a t- top 10 state? What, what do we got to do to make that, that reality to make people like you want to come back? <laughs> you know, and I think if anybody had all the answers to that, we'd be in great shape. And that's what makes the process so fun right? <laughs> is, is trying to figure out along the way what works, what doesn't. Um, for me, fundamentally, it's that aspect of agriculture is as much a lifestyle as it is an enterprise. Mm-hmm. And I think that the necessity that we have is to really focus on how do we keep our rural economies from shrinking year after year? And, and how do we start bringing people back into those towns? I don't know what that looks like, but I know that there are initiatives that are being started by organizations across the state just trying to trying to answer that very question. I mean, mm-hmm. in what ways do we need to diversify our production of agriculture? Are there niche markets that can be tapped? Um 
where can we stimulate more drive and commerce, even though we're kind of an energy dependent and an ag dependent state? But some of the benefits of that then are you've got space. You're not stacked on top of somebody else living in this hot, uh, you know, long commute, damp environment. And so I think that that's got a lot of appeal and draw. Uh, I just, uh, I don't have all the answers yet, <laughs> but I know that there's really good people working on it. Yeah. Uh, and in one of the past podcasts, you, you talked with uh, Mr. Mazel uh, with Oklahoma Farm Bureau, and I've had the great fortune of working with them this summer as an intern after everything in D.C. got shut down. They were gracious enough to bring me on board. And one of the projects that we were working on was trying to address some of those questions is, mm-hmm. Is there a need to start something like a rural venture fund to right. try to inject some money and some ideas into those rural communities that, that are struggling so much? Mm-hmm. So, end of the day, as far as your uh, your time in FFA, what what do you think you will take with you? Maybe more than anything out of anything else out of that FFA experience from the time that you put on the jacket mm-hmm. as a green hand to the day that you took the jacket off in uh, what Indianapolis a year ago. Mm-hmm. I would say if I had to boil it down and summarize the biggest lesson I had walking away, it was that there is unrivaled support for the youth of this country, especially in agriculture. It's that if you have the personal initiative to make a better life for yourself, we live in a country that that is built on and still possible today. It's just a matter of seeing how bad you want it and being willing to work for it. Mm-hmm. And also in that pursuit, uh, we should be willing to disagree with each other. We should never disrespect each other in the process uh, because I think everybody's just doing their best and trying to figure out what that looks like. And as long as we're open and willing to have hard conversations, that's where progress happens. So I'm excited to be a part of some of those conversations moving forward. Very good. Ridge, thank you so much. Ridge Eubanks with us today on the road to rural prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and oklahomafarmreport.com proud to be a part of the family of the funk companies.